Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I was thinking a couple of moments ago about something that Kirby Smart said the other day. It was kind of an offhanded comment, but I think it seems a little bit more relevant right now. So Kirby was on with Reese Davis, and we've talked about Reese Davis before. Reese has been whining a little bit lately because Georgia fans dared notice that his preseason pick was for Michigan to win the national championship. And I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about when Reese told Kirby about that. You know, Kirby said something back, and I'm trying to think exactly what it was that he said, but he said something back to him along the lines of, you know, listen, you know, no matter what SEC fan base it would be, they would all be reacting that way because SEC fans have passion. And then he said something to the effect of, and, you know, we ought to all be glad they have that passion because it's the passion they have that keeps us all employed. Or That's not exactly what Kirby Smart said, but he said something to the effect of is that, you know, we get a chance to have shows and have conversation. We have all that kind of stuff because of how much people care about the product that is Georgia football and SEC football. And so I think sometimes what that means is and the way in which some of that kind of stuff sort of shows up and kind of comes to full fruition is, is that. Georgia fans, SEC fans, are going to be really interested, even when the topic at hand might not be all that interesting. And I have to be honest with you, and perhaps I shouldn't feel this way, but uh, I'll admit that I do. I think there's an aspect to which the game against UT Martin on Saturday, just for me, was not really all that interesting. I loved being in Sanford Stadium. I liked seeing a bunch of Georgia fans. We don't get very many of these uh, 12 regular season games, so you want to treat them all as somewhat precious. But there's an aspect to which I don't know that the game itself was all that interesting, and then I'm not quite so sure it showed uh, all that significant of a data point for the good or for the bad when it comes to UGA. But just because it wasn't necessarily all that interesting doesn't mean that Georgia fans, and I am in this group right there along with many of you, it doesn't mean that we won't be interested. And we're going to kind of break down and chop up every little thing that goes on with the game. And some of that is going to end up focusing in on Carson Beck who had his first start, and the final overall numbers end up looking pretty good. What was he, about What 294 yards? He had 21 of 31, 294 yards, rushed for a touchdown, did not throw one. But the overall day, you know, probably not you – know, you weren't blown away by any aspect of the back performance in all likelihood. And some of the way in which the overall, I think, perception of Carson's first start, some of that was probably colored by – uh, a beginning of the game in which probably got off to a little bit of a slow start perhaps he's attributed some of that to nerves we can certainly understand that this was Beck's first college start it's his first start of any kind since he was a senior in high school going back to the 2019 season that is now kind of a long time ago and so you know all of that was just kind of a factor perhaps in all of this so yesterday Kirby Smart was asked that hey did you think that Carson Beck's nerves impacted his slow start and impacted his game overall that was the premise of the question that Smart faced yesterday and Smart kind of laughed at that as an idea and I think you would also assume that he sort of laughs at the notion that somehow there was something wrong with the boy that Carson Beck played on Saturday I think that Kirby's the, the degree that he finds is humorous, I think, is kind of interesting. So let's hear Kirby Smart yesterday laughing at those who might criticize Carson Beck for his first start on Saturday. Take a listen to this. I don't understand. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't understand you guys sometimes. I really don't. I, I thought Carson played. I thought just like I did when I looked at it. I came in there and talked to y'all Saturday uh, night. I thought Carson played really well. He played composed. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the throws that were just awful or erratic, and uh, I didn't see that. And I said the one third down, he, he he admittedly threw the ball a little bit behind Don, thinking Don was sitting down, and Don broke in, which Don was correct, and he, he missed him on that throw. But you know, outside of that, there, there's going to be incompletions in games. There's going to be looks that maybe they fool you with you didn't see in the week in scout report. But his run check game, his uh, carrying out his fakes, his decision in the pocket, him throwing the ball away. I mean, the guy, I thought the guy for a first start played really well. So to me, the reaction from Kirby Smart's a pretty appropriate reaction to a game that probably just doesn't mean nearly as much as the ones that George is going to be playing in a few weeks. Certainly first SEC game against South Carolina, first road game against Auburn, maybe first big test that come later on in the month of November, perhaps when Kentucky comes calling a few weeks prior to that. You know, those are probably the games for Georgia that matter much more than what happened on Saturday. So the idea that you take anything, if Georgia won 100 to nothing on Saturday, it's not like we would have been proclaiming Carson Beck to be the greatest quarterback of all time because the opponent was only UT Martin and Georgia playing against a lesser opponent Saturday much like it played against lesser opponents in this same spot a year ago to me it just sort of gets a little bit of a shrug and I would hope from you right now it gets just a little bit of a shrug this is just sort of what Georgia kind of does in these games a year ago though when Georgia needed to be at its best no one could be better perhaps in recent college football history no one has been better than what georgia was last year in the games that actually mattered most on its way to a second straight national championship season so if kirby smart is this relaxed about carson beck my advice to all of you would be to be really relaxed about this there as well laughing in the face of criticism thinking some of that's overblown perhaps for those of you who are kind of yourself trying to figure out and i don't believe that anybody is necessarily doing this in some sort of malicious way or anything like that georgia fans i don't believe are setting out to try to find something to be negative about perhaps some are but but that's a very very minuscule kind of peripheral point of view the average georgia fan just trying to make sense of what's going on and what he saw on saturday was a game that was you know kind of bumpy for a little while when it was all said and done maybe the final score looks okay maybe the stat line looks okay but it didn't feel great throughout the entirety of the game georgia fans aren't malicious for trying to figure all that out and some of those attempts to figure that out lead to questions that may sound like criticism but in the face of all that kirby smart still sort of laughs at it and says "Eh, i don't think any of this is anything to necessarily be worried about and you'd be fair to ask if you could ask kirby smart a follow-up question to that of well how come that is like 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 why is it that none of this seems to matter very much and here's the point i don't think you should miss is that kirby smart has been very very clear about what carson beck does well in comparison to the other georgia quarterbacks and by the way we got a glimpse of brock vandergriff on saturday and brock vandergriff played really well he or at least in the, in the in the small window of time he got a chance to play made a couple of beautiful throws and yet nonetheless Kirby Smart has made it very clear about what Beck does that gives him the edge over Vandegrift right now and the edge over Gunnar Stockton right now. I think all of us probably think that both Vandegrift and Stockton could eventually be really good quarterbacks for Georgia, but they are not as good at Carson Beck at one very important thing. And on this particular point, Kirby Smart's not using coded language. He's not using secret language. He's not requiring you to read between the lines. He is stating explicitly 
the thing that gives Carson Beck the edge in the quarterback competition. And this is why he laughs at those who might criticize Beck because Kirby Smart sees the game within the game and he sees the way in which Beck is functioning in that role, operating the Georgia offense overall. And this is the stuff you cannot miss. And this is also what Kirby Smart said yesterday about what he likes about Carson Beck and the trust that the coaches have gained in Beck because of his ability to navigate what is a very complicated Georgia offense. This, once again, Kirby Smart from yesterday. It's really complicated and elaborate, but he did what he was coached to do, and he, he did exactly the things that we wanted to do. They got two outside, we're checking this. Okay, they got this, we're doing this. He followed those, and he's already done that. Like He did that all last year un, un, under Coach Munkin. So like, he did it in practice because he had to be ready to play. If they've got this coming, we can't run that play. we got to go over here and do this play. Every play has its own identity, but he's very bright, and he understands it, and we're lucky that, that we can do some of the things we can do because he's like Stetson in that way. He's been in the system long enough to handle the volume. Almost anybody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody will tell you that the thing that ultimately gave Beck the edge in the quarterback competition was his knowledge of the offense, that the other two younger quarterbacks having been here last time they just don't know the offense quite as well. That may be that may be particularly the case for Brock Vandegrift because he's the guy that's sort of thought to be the number two, and he clearly has a skill set. He runs it well. He threw it beautifully on Saturday. He clearly has a very impressive skill set. But people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody will tell you that that right now apparently Vandegrift does not know the offense as well as Carson Beck does, and the knowledge, the intricacy there obviously is really important and that's the edge that Carson Beck provides for UGA and so I would say that the way to judge Carson moving forward is is not just his own numbers his numbers will be important but it's the overall number for the Georgia offense we told you going into last week I'd like to see seven explosive plays as defined by plays of 20 or more yards. George, I believe, actually had 10 on Saturday. Not all of those came from Carson, but the overall performance in the offense was about what I was sort of hoping it would be, somewhat meager expectations of the game to begin with. George at least met those, and Carson Beck was a part of meeting all, all of those. And it's his knowledge of the offense that gives him a chance to do that. Now, we also said on yesterday's show, and this is late towards the end if you got a chance to hear it, we were still here on Labor Day, that in light of was maybe not the greatest game of all time maybe not the worst game maybe not the greatest game just a performance from Carson Beck kind of getting the first start out of the way that that Carson Beck would probably do right by himself to provide for Georgia and for Georgia fans what Stetson Bennett gave this team in 2021 remember that UAB start when he stepped in in place of an injured JT Daniels and Bennett set records right he had five touchdowns it was I mean it was an amazing statistical performance from him that day that was we didn't really realize it at the time but that was his coming out party that was his moment when he showed you what he could be as a Georgia starting quarterback I brought up the idea yesterday that success leaves clues that people on their way to major accomplishments drop hints along the way of what they have the capability of doing and that was Bennett's hint of here's how good I can be and when it was all said and done he was that good over the course of his career I think it would be good for Carson Beck to have one of those moments whether it's this Saturday against Ball State or ironically enough against UAB coming up or an SEC game against South Carolina or maybe on the road against Auburn he needs to have his Stetson Bennett versus UAB moment where he shows folks just how good he can be and at that point in time then Beck will then have earned the full confidence of all Georgia fans but I would also say this until that happens how about you borrow Kirby Smart's confidence Right now, not every Georgia fan 
has full confidence, it would seem, in Carson Beck's ability to be as good for this team as Stetson Bennett's been over the course of the last couple of years. And maybe that's a logical conclusion given the success that Bennett had and the fact that Beck is just now starting his journey. Maybe it's logical and reasonable not to have full confidence in him yet until you've seen that with your own eyes. Perhaps that's the case. But until he has his Bennett versus UAB moment, until he has his own coming out party, presuming that comes, then borrow Kirby Smart's confidence. Because right now, the head coach that you do trust, the head coach that you do have a track record for, the head coach that has been around the block a few times, he feels confident enough in what he's seen from Beck in practice and what Kirby knows about what Beck knows about this Georgia offense to laugh in the face of any criticism that's coming Beck's way right now. That ought to matter to you. Kirby Smart's opinion ought to matter here. And in Kirby Smart's case, it seems like he thinks that Carson Beck is going to be just fine. Now, to shift gears here for a moment, something that may not be just fine, uh, that's the situation involving the Clemson Tigers. And if you're watching last night, I believe you saw the most significant outcome of anything involving week one. You know, it, it's not the, the you know, Florida loss to Utah, because to be frank, Florida was expected to lose that game. It's not Florida State beating LSU as impressive as Florida State was. Frankly, both Florida State and LSU could still be playoff contenders here at the end of the season. I don't know that outcome changes much. Had the outcome been reversed, I'm not sure it changes much. But I think the the Clemson game last night, I think it changes plenty. This was supposed to be an introduction of Garrett Riley as Clemson offensive coordinator. This was supposed to be a Clemson team finding a new spark on offense going outside of its program to bring in some fresh new ideas. And it just didn't look like it last night. Cade Klubinick did not look like the next great Clemson quarterback. This Clemson offense did not look any better last night than it's struggled to look over the course of the last couple of years. And I think you're forced to conclude. And I say this knowing full well that I'm the guy that typically says, hey, view week one through a filter nothing's ever quite as true as it seems like it is in the moment of week one I say that all the time but even knowing that a lot of times week one offers false positives or offers incorrect conclusions if you go too far with them I'm not quite so sure we didn't see more evidence of a very significant change for Clemson and the program they've been the playoff every year from 2015 through 2020 Uh, Was that six years in a row? The program that's won two national championships? I'm not quite so sure that the Dabo Sweeney-Clemson era didn't end last night, Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham, North Carolina, on the campus of Duke University. I'm not quite so sure that Clemson didn't close a book and a chapter on its football history that cannot be reopened, because this is not the same Clemson team it was. I mean, think about this. Just two years ago, September of 2021, Georgia and Clemson are meeting each other in the field that day, and it's Clemson that had the cachet, and it was Georgia that had something to prove. My gosh, how much have things changed since then? Georgia's won all the national championships since then, and Clemson seems like a far cry of what it was prior to then. Last night after the game, Dabo Swinney talked about what Clemson did do well, and he acknowledged that from his standpoint, this is about as odd of a game as he's been involved with. That's what Dabo said after the game obviously a, a huge huge win for them and, and they they earned it and they deserved it and an incredibly disappointing loss that's honestly all my years of football i've never been a part of a game like that ever and been here at clemson a long time since i've been the head coach we were 58 no when we rushed for 200 and passed for 200 uh, that's usually a pretty good indicator and i think in, in clemson history we were 108 no never lost ever in Dabo's defense there was the one moment that was really weird 
sometimes I'm always amazed about what I don't know about the rules. I sort of feel like I should probably know more about the rules sometimes than I do. There was the weird moment in the second half, I think it was early fourth quarter, where Cade Klubinick is trying to, you know, gain enough yards in a rushing play to get the first down, and he slides on fourth down. Uh, he slides short of the line to gain, gets hit. It's a 15-yard penalty for targeting, and yet the officials rule it a dead ball play after the uh, you know basically after the play was concluded so therefore Duke gets the football and then they're backed up 15 yards after that which as one of the broadcasters I think correctly pointed out well if that be the case then targeting is essentially rewarded like you get the football back for hitting the quarterback when he was defenseless on the ground which I, I kind of agree with um so from that standpoint I, I don't know if that's a correct call or not it certainly seemed like a weird call and I watch a lot of football I don't quite rem- remember too many times when I've sort of seen that happen so if Dabo wants to point that out as being a weird thing that happened then I would say that he's well within his rights to do so but overall the overall game itself honestly didn't seem all that weird I think most of us that watch that would say gosh Duke just looks like the better team the crisper more you know organized uh you know uh just operation here and Clemson does not seem like the same team that it once did. Is the Dabo era over in terms of having Clemson as a perennial playoff contender, the kind of team that could rightly dream of winning national championships? It may be too early to say for sure, but my gosh, we got a strong indication that things have changed. We may have voted a team off the island in week one in terms of being a playoff contender. It may be Clemson. And not only are they eliminated from this year, there's a chance they're just eliminated in the future. That the Clemson team that was once a massive, massive threat to Georgia, and a uh, two-time national champion. Maybe all of that for now for the Tigers is living in the past. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. We're typically live on video. We are obviously not today. Uh, It's streaming issues. I really can't can't say anything else about that for right now. We'll just sort of figure out, out what that is. But uh, we are happy to be able to to be able to bring the show to you on video eventually, and of course on podcast and the podcast folks, be thankful here. You're not really impacted at all, I don't think. So from your standpoint, this will all be the way that it always is. Of course, radio, everything else there too. And a big thanks to our friends from Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make all of this possible. Foundation waterproofing issues, they can be for you uh, as tough a thing as a homeowner can ever have to deal with right there. And if you find yourself dealing with something like that or you get the telltale signs that something could be wrong when it rains, and sometimes it rains very heavily, especially this time of year, you see it creeping in where it's not supposed to be. Basement, crawl space, garage, you know, those those kinds of things. The wet spots, the standing water in some cases, you know that's a big issue. It's also an indicator to you that you need to reach out and talk to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Or if you see cracks in your sheet walk, the, the sheet rock, I should say, those stair step cracks in your bricks, something along those lines. Once again, that can be a sign that you need to get something seen about. And the good news is when you reach out to my friends at ESOG, perhaps all of this is just kind of a simple fix. And if it is, they're more than happy to tell you that. They are a solutions-based company. If there's a quick, easy solution for your problem, all the better for them. Just sort of tell you about it, and you can move on, go to the hardware store, buy whatever, and you might be in, in good shape. But in some cases, as you know, the work that needs to be done is just more substantial than that. And if that's the case, once again, all the reason to have a company like Engineered Solutions of Georgia on the job for you because they've got a full team of engineers on staff ready to work for you to solve your problem. There's nobody else in our marketplace that puts that level of resource together towards you to solve your problems. That is what 
Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. So please give them a call, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Engineered Solutions of Georgia uh, is your uh, uh, source for uh, 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 any kind of issue when it comes to foundation and wireproofing issues. Make sure you check them out today. Proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours around here. Check out Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And I want to focus in on something else that Kirby Smart said yesterday because this was a hot topic on yesterday's show. The two things that got a lot of chatter coming off the UT Martin game and not to say that there weren't plenty of good things to discuss. And as the week goes on, we're going to talk about a lot of those things, of course. But two of the things that got a lot of chatter, the performance of Carson Beck, quarterback always gets that. Offensive coordinator also always gets a lot of that there as well. And for Mike Bobo, there's a backstory here, which kind of generates even more chatter. Uh, a lot of folks didn't think that Bobo necessarily had a great first day on the job back in the same role for the first time since 2014. One of the things they highlighted in particular was, in a moment we readily acknowledged on yesterday's show there as well, was a blunder near the end of the first half, choosing to run the ball down near the goal line when Georgia didn't have any timeouts. It set up a situation where Georgia had to then clock the ball on the next play. You basically cost yourself time, but you also cost yourself a down, and ultimately you end up costing yourself a touchdown there in that spot. And a lot of Georgia fans jumped on that. And I would say in terms of evaluating that as a mistake, rightly so, jumped on that to say, hey, you see, there you go. That's a mistake. That's the kind of thing uh, that Mike Bobo should not have done as Georgia George offensive coordinator and if we're being really candid here for a moment there's something that some Georgia fans think that they don't want to say because they don't want to say it because they really like Kirby Smart they really believe in Kirby Smart Kirby Smart's the kind of person after two straight national championships that the average fan would say gosh this guy can seemingly do no wrong but even though they kind of broadly feel that about Kirby Smart there's this element of but is he going to call out his friend when he needs to? Because everybody sort of knows Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo are close friends. And some people are sort of thinking, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase before, this isn't show friends, it's show business. That George has kind of gotten out of the show business game. And now are they in the show friends game with Kirby, with Will Muschamp on defense and Mike Bobo on offense? Does Kirby have too many friends on this staff? And are they willing to kind of get down to business when need to? Is Kirby Smart going to call out? You know, Mike Bobo, the way in the past we'd have seen him yelling at Jim Chaney on the headset, or certainly probably not afraid to do that when it comes to Todd Munkin. It seems like that's just how Kirby and Munkin probably communicated with each other, screaming back and forth at each other at times, perhaps you're, you're, you're led to believe. And this is the thing that if you're one of those Georgia fans, whether you're willing to admit that or not, that I'm just not quite so sure Kirby wants to call out his friend, Mike Bobo. I'm not quite so sure that Kirby's going to hold his friend to the same standard he might hold another offensive coordinator to. If you're the kind of Georgia fan that sort of feels that way, then I think what Kirby said yesterday is the kind of thing I don't think you should miss. Because when the issue was brought to Kirby of, hey, what about the end of the half there? When when Georgia ran the running play, no timeouts. You know, what, what about that situation that kind of messed you up down there near the goal line right before the uh, first half came to a close? For those that wondered, would Kirby Smart speak freely and speak clearly when friendships are involved? I think yesterday you got a pretty clear example of all of that. This is Kirby Smart on that moment that a lot of Georgia fans did not like uh, prior to halftime against UT Martin. Bad deal, man. Bad deal. Uh, to be honest with you, it's just a miscue not knowing how close it was to the goal line and probably making a decision too fast. We spend a lot of time on those moments like that, and I take a lot of pride in moments like that. And 
should never happen. But making a decision really fast sometimes, you don't make the right decision. We had enough time there. We actually got the ball snapped without losing any time on the clock. But the decision was, was you know, thinking it was probably closer than it actually was. And it cost us. It cost us at least one play. So to me, I don't think you can misunderstand what Kirby Smart's saying there. He calls that decision a bad deal. He says it was a miscue. He says, hey, we take pride in that. That should never happen. And it cost us. That's as clear as it gets about uh, how Kirby Smart felt about that particular moment. So if you're a Georgia fan, you kind of wonder about the working relationship between Kirby Smart and one of his good friends, Mike Bobo, no offensive coordinator. I think that's your indication that when there's something to be called out, Kirby Smart's not going to hold back on calling that out any different than he would with any other staff or any other player or any other you know possible situation. Kirby Smart's going to speak plainly and bluntly. He does there in that moment. So my advice would be, and my request possibly would be, to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when Kirby Smart's not saying those things. Much like we heard with Carson Beck a little earlier, you know, Carson, uh, Kirby Smart kind of laughed in the face of criticism of Carson Beck, and Kirby's mind it didn't matter all that much. So later on in this season, when some folks want to say whatever about Mike Bobo and Kirby Smart's not joining in on that chorus, keep in mind that it's perhaps not because he's unwilling to say what needs to be said. He just doesn't happen to agree with you in that particular moment because in a situation at the end of the first half on Saturday when almost everybody thought, that's eh, kind of a bad deal, Kirby Smart on, on Monday, yep, that was a bad deal. That was a mistake. That's a mess up. We can't have that happen. Kirby Smart was more than happy to point that out because when it comes to the plain, obvious truth, Kirby Smart's never going to be afraid to speak the plain, obvious truth. So later on this season, when Kirby Smart's not saying those things, maybe it's because privately Kirby Smart's got the kind of confidence in Bobo that he seemed to express in Carson back there on Saturday. And while you may not trust both these guys fully yet, uh, as much as Kirby Smart does, you do trust Kirby Smart. So borrowing his trust until you gain your own, that might be a pretty good idea. And that is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Let me do one thing before I bring on Connor Riley. We've gotten an indication that, and we knew this would happen, it's just a fact. We told you how much Tennessee fans hate Dog Nation invasion of the Tennessee River. Well, guess what? UGA fans love it as much as we knew they would there as well. And this is not hype. This is not me being a carnival barker ringmaster. This is just a fact. We are almost completely sold out of our tickets, and it's a boat we don't have room for anymore. So if you've been on the fence about getting in on Dog Nation invasion of the Tennessee River, within the next few days, they're going to come to me and they're going to say, B.A., you cannot even promote this anymore. We don't have any more tickets to offer. So please, right now, if this is something that you want to do, if you want to be a part of, and I hope we have as many great dog fans as we can, and that includes you, but you got to act fast because if you don't jump on these, somebody else is going to take them. So go to dognation.com. Uh, you know, click the link there, get your tickets for Dog Nation Invasion of the Tennessee River. This is going to be as much fun as anything we've ever done. Truly a unique experience that I'm proud to say that we're bringing here in 2023, but our tickets are going to sell out within the next very, very quickly. So uh, jump on it quickly, uh, get on, and we'll see you there for Dog Nation Invasion coming up a little bit later on in November. All right, for now. Everything that happened in Athens yesterday as Georgia turns the page to Ball State and what happened on Saturday with the game against UT Martin. Let's cover it all with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We are operating on a slightly different schedule here today, so I certainly appreciate Connor Riley 
uh, altering his plans to join us here a little bit later since we had the issue with the live video here today. Connor, thank you for your time, and let's just jump right into it if you don't mind. I said this a moment ago. I think there are a lot of Georgia fans that maybe don't want to say this out loud, but they have a private belief which is, hey, we love Kirby Smart, we respect Kirby Smart, but kind of a new challenge for Kirby Smart having so many close associates, friends on this Georgia staff. Is he going to call them out if he needs to? Is he going to hold them to the same standard he would have held a Todd Munkin to or a, you know, a Mel Tucker to or a, or a Dan Lanning to? Is he going to do what needs to be done there in all of that? And I thought a small moment in yesterday's press conference ought to be the indication that any Georgia fan who's wondering about that, he got everything he needs to know that, yeah, you better believe that if something bad happens during a game, Kirby Smart's going to be just as blunt and plain in discussing that as he's always been in the past. You know, Mike Bobo had the issue near the end of the first half. Everybody agrees you can't run the ball right there with no timeouts. Georgia did. It was a mistake. I said yesterday, I don't think it's the end of the world, but it was clearly a mistake, and Kirby Smart called it out. And to me, for Georgia fans who are kind of wondering how this work relationship's going to operate, I think you got a little bit of an indication of that yesterday. Yeah, uh, I I think that was one of those things that they've practiced a lot before, and I don't think they realized how close or how far away they were from the end zone. And, like, look, there's also, I think, a large portion of the fan base out there that is just never going to accept Mike Bobo uh, as being a competent offensive coordinator. Uh, they have made up their mind on this. It is a predetermined decision. And, you know, until Georgia wins the championship, uh, people are just going to feel the way that they feel about Bubba. And that's fine. They're entitled to that fact. Uh, you know, overall, you look at the numbers. Georgia had 559 yards of total offense. They only topped that three times last year. Uh, I think if you compare how they performed against the FCS post Samford last year, Georgia had a better game this time around. It, it was the first game for Bubba. It was the first game for Carson Beck. And so people are probably going to lean on their preconceived notions before that. I, I mean, if you're – thinking that Kirby Smart's going to take it easy on his friends uh, that he has around him. Like, yeah, you, you like to have people that – you like to work with people that you actually like because it makes, I think, for a better experience. But if you think Kirby Smart's not going to hold everyone in this program accountable, uh, quite frankly, you just haven't been paying all that much attention to the way Georgia football has been operating of late. And so as far as, you know, that decision there to run it right there at the end, I actually don't think the decision itself was it was a poor one to run the ball in that situation. I think the bigger issue was deciding to spike the ball on second down, wasting a down there when I do think they had time to get a play in quickly, get a snap off, and then if that didn't work, get another play on third down there. The other thing I've kind of brought up was, is you go back to last week, I had said plenty of times on the show that if you were expecting like a seven-touchdown win from Georgia, I thought you might be – disappointed on saturday that my more meager goal was i'd like to see seven plays of 20 or more yards well the truth is you know georgia won the game by about the margin of victory i thought it would have and instead of having seven plays of 20 or more yards i believe they had 10 that you know when i was kind of setting a somewhat lower level of expectation of the game nobody at the time called me out to say oh ba you're not holding georgia to high enough standard i think a lot of people probably thought yeah maybe that's maybe that's about right maybe that's what you should expect well that's what you got there on Saturday. I just don't think I think the game, you know, for the good or for the bad, was really all that interesting. It's about what I expected. This is about what Georgia does against lesser competition. You can make a case the game shouldn't even be played. I mean, you know, UT Martin does not belong on the same field with Georgia. I think it's a misleading data point for both the good and for the bad, perhaps. But ultimately, whether it be Mike Bobo or anything else, 
This is about what Georgia does in games like this. They sort of played about three-quarter speed. They seem to be about half interested, and it results in the kinds of games like we got. But when Georgia plays much bigger games against better competition, scuffling around and you know uh, seeming disinterested against lesser teams doesn't seem to matter because last year, pretty clearly, Georgia was at its best when it needed to be. Yeah, from a talent standpoint, that's the worst team Georgia's going to play all year. Uh, It's hard to take anything away from, you know, we'll start on the defense. It's hard to take away anything they did from that game. I I think the number that Kirby Smart threw out there, uh, UT Martin was getting rid of the ball at an average of 2.1 seconds per pass attempt. Uh, That's not going to be able to tell you anything about your secondary. You know, they had 11 pass attempts in the first half for a total of 14 yards. That's just. You know, it's hard to extrapolate anything from that. Uh, offensively, sure, you would have liked to have had, you know, some of the miscommunication issues cleaned up. You know, Carson may have had a throw or two that he would have liked back, but that's true for every quarterback that, that has ever played. There, there is no sort of, you know, perfect half or, or perfect game out there. So, you know, to, to have big takeaways after week one, even regardless uh, of who the competition is, I think that can be a little bit of a mistake there. We've seen teams bounce back from that before over the course of the season. Again, last year, Florida or LSU loses week one to Florida State, and they go on to win the SEC West. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but teams are allowed to get better and teams are going to get better. And to, have an, to, to, to think that you have an idea of what this sort of team is going to look like come you know, the Tennessee game uh, on November 18th when we're going to be on a boat before the game, I, I just think that's a bit too far right now. And so I, you know, take it one week at a time. You know, look for things going into week two, see what sort of trends develop there. You know, is C.J. Smith able to put together another solid game for Georgia? Do Carson Beck and Dominic Lovett have a better pairing this time around? How much does Georgia rely on Brock Bowers in this game? I think those are the sort of, like, small things you look for. But in terms of, you know, year-end goals, it's way too early to make any kind of judgment on that. You know, we talked earlier in the show about Kirby essentially laughing at, you know, criticism of Carson Beck from week one. I have, though, said, Connor, I do think it would probably serve uh, Carson Beck well to have kind of a Stetson Bennett versus UAB moment at some point in time this month, whether it's you know this week against Ball State, another overmatched team, or maybe it's an SEC game, or maybe it's actually against UAB, who George ironically plays in a couple of weeks there as well. But Bennett gave an indication in September of 2021 of how good he could be over the course of the next two years he dropped a pretty big hint there now he was a lot more experienced at that time than Carson Beck is right now but nonetheless do you think that Carson will have one of those coming out party moments at some point in time Saturday clearly wasn't it I don't think he necessarily played bad but it wasn't his introduction to the world do you think sometime over the course of this month Carson Beck really will be able to do that and create the kind of confidence in himself that Georgia fans want to be able to give him? Yeah, I thought Carson played fine on Saturday. I I think the big thing that you want to see from him, I kind of want to see them open up the offense a little bit more for him in terms of taking those deep shots, taking advantage of the intermediate passing game where I think Georgia does have a good strength there. And let's point out as well, Lad McConkey wasn't playing. Uh, He's probably going to be Georgia's best wide receiver this season. Marcus Rosemey Jackson is a very good and very important player for this offense. Uh, no Dejon Edwards, who's probably going to be Georgia's leading rusher this year. Uh, all those guys did not play in the game against UT Martin, so he's not yet working for a full deck. I'm interested in that South Carolina game and, and the Auburn game for two very different reasons. I think if there's a game where Carson does sort of have the rightful coming out party, it is going to be that game against South Carolina. And 
you know, I got a chance to talk to Carson after the game. He admitted he was nervous, and, you know, that carried into the first quarter there a little bit. And, and there's a long list of athletes that have gotten nervous and been anxious before games. But usually when, when the game starts, you know, Stetson Bennett himself would say, you know, when I got hit for the first time, then I really started to settle down and, and settle in there. So I think that game against Auburn on the road on September 30th, I think is going to be the most interesting for Carson Beck in terms of seeing where he is at that point because it is the first time he's going to be going into a hostile environment and seeing what sort of impact that has on him. It's just something we can't really know right now, and we won't sort of understand it until that game on September 30th. So to broaden this out, you know, beyond you know Carson Beck, Mike Bobo, two figures we've talked plenty about over the course of the last couple of days, what were your other main takeaways from the game against UT Martin? What are the bullet points that matter most, you think, for Georgia fans? I think one of the things that I came away from that game, if they get that level of safety play all year uh, from Malachi Starks, Javon Bowen, I would include Tyke Smith as well, who, who looked really good, you know, another year removed from his ACL injury. I think those are the sort of encouraging things that you look for. Uh, if they get that kind of safety play on a week-in, week-out basis, I don't know if this defense is going to be able to match what that 2021 defense did from a front seven standpoint, but if they get that kind of safety play, they're going to be able to be every bit as good as that 2021 defense. Again, it's not a great opponent, and they didn't really get tested deep, but with the athleticism that those guys have, I was really impressed. As far as individual players, uh, you know, I take note of what T.J. Smith did uh, in that game. And, yeah, he only had two catches for 57 yards, um, and Makai Muse had the big touchdown there, but T.J. Smith looks the part. He, I think, from a complete athleticism standpoint, is Georgia's most athletic wide receiver, and if you're able to get big plays out of him or at least consistency out of him, I think that's going to open up a lot of things for this offense as they get back Aladdin McConkey, as they get back a Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint. And, and so if you get big plays from him or contributions from him, I think that adds another element to this passing offense. I want to finish with something away from Georgia here for a moment, although I guess it's sort of tangentially interested to interesting to Georgia fans. Listen, I'm always the one saying, hey, don't overreact too much to what happens in week one. I believe it's really important to view all of this through a filter. Almost nothing is as true as it appears to be, with the exception of what happened last night. Connor, I think by far and away the most significant moment of our first full week of college football was Clemson going on the road and losing to Duke last night. The game, and Dabo can say what he wants to about the total yards they piled up or anything like that. Duke just looked like the better team. And the game, to me, just did not look to be all that close. And I'm not quite so sure the Dabo era didn't end last night. You know, Garrett Riley was hired to bring some fresh new ideas to the Clemson offense. But maybe they're just not capable of embracing new things. Maybe Riley doesn't have the cachet to do what Todd Munkin did, which was convince Georgia to maybe do things just a little bit differently. Maybe maybe Garrett Riley just doesn't have enough bass in his voice to be able to do that. I won't try to diagnose it from afar, but the results speak for themselves here. Clemson is a far cry from where it was when Georgia opened the season against it uh, back to begin the 2021 season. Connor, this felt significant to me, and it seems incredibly meaningful. Three things. One, uh, you and I were both in lockstep. We thought Duke had a chance very much to keep this game close, uh, and then they ultimately go out and win that. So I was not totally surprised that Duke came out and won this game. Obviously, the manner in which it unfolded was a little bit surprising there. Two, you mentioned Garrett Riley, his first game coming in. B.A., how many points did Georgia have offensively in the first half of Todd Munkin's first game as an offensive coordinator? Uh, They would have had, I guess, zero. Is that right? 
It was three. 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 I yeah, believe three. they scored five points. They had five points, and two of those came on a safety against Arkansas in 2020. Now, you can tell weirdness of the pandemic. But, you know, again, sometimes these offensive changes, when you come in and you're making such big changes there, I, I do think that's something to keep in mind uh, as Garrett Riley gets more familiar with the system. And, you know, while, yes, the final score says 28-7, Clemson had a first and goal from the – from the one-yard line on the first play of the fourth quarter. And if they score a touchdown there, they go up 14-13. And so, you know, yes, the game sort of got away from Clemson there late. I get that. It was not a good look. I think, you know, Kate Colvin didn't look great throwing the ball. The biggest reason that Clemson has fallen off, and you saw it once again last night, this is a program that, you know, yes, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence's quarterbacks were great. They had stud wide receivers for that entire late 2010s run. Uh, you know, starting with Sammy Watkins in the early part of that decade, DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. Those guys were studs. Those guys were NFL football players. Clemson just doesn't have wide receivers anymore that scare you. Uh, much less give you any pause for concern. And so, I think as so long as that is going to continue to be the case with Clemson, it's just going to be harder for them to win football games in in the manner in which they used to. Now they still have a talent edge. And I think you and I both agree, Mike Elko is a really good head yes. coach. That's a guy who's going to be coaching, you know, unless he decides he wants to stay at Duke because we've seen some guys do that. I think that's a guy who, you know, if things go poorly with Texas A&M this year and Jimbo Fisher, maybe that's a job that, you know, makes a lot of sense for Elko, especially given he's coached there before. Uh, it's a credit to Duke. I'm not quite jumping all the way off the Clemson bandwagon yet, and it does. I do have to admit here I did have Clemson making the playoff. Uh, this season, I think they're going to get better. It was a weird game, but to your larger point, the idea that we can just pencil and Clemson in as this known entity anymore, certainly what they were three, four years ago, uh, I don't think you can do that anymore. Let me offer a brief follow-up here really quick, and I will admit that I probably like Dabo Sweeney more than a lot of our audience does. You know, there are just certain things about Dabo from a principle standpoint, belief standpoint. There are things about Dabo that I like. A lot of our audience doesn't like anything about him because he's a rival coach, and I certainly understand that. So what I'm about to say kind of flies in the face of that because the one thing that Dabo seems really incapable of doing, I think last night's kind of an example of that, there doesn't seem to be any soul-searching after losses. And you can say what you want to about Kirby Smart. He's as driven and as self-confident and self-assured as any leader of an organization probably would be should be and yet i think we have evidence that over the course of the years when georgia has lost and looked badly in doing so i think kirby smart's done some soul searching i think he did some soul searching after georgia got completely demolished by lsu in the 2019 sec championship but i think that georgia kind of became a little bit of a different team after that i think um i think that's been you know kind of documented before that for as confident as kirby smart is and self-assured in his own principles as kirby smart is he has not been afraid to do some soul searching of Am I leading this organization in the best possible way that I can when Georgia has looked bad in a particular game? If Dabo's ever done that, we don't have any evidence. In fact, publicly, it seems like we have a lot of evidence to the contrary. Yeah, I think you took the words right out of my mouth, specifically with that 2019 LSU game. That game, which is the worst Georgia has looked, in my opinion, under Kirby Smart, is the worst that they played. And yes, LSU, that team was great. One of the best of all time in terms of college football. The final score was 37 to 10, and it wasn't even that close of a game. Uh, and since that game, this has been a fundamentally different program. You can even point back to that 2020 loss to Florida. You know, they go out there and lose that game. Kirby makes a change to JT Daniels uh, after that game. And sure, Stetson was hurt, and I get that. But I think that change was coming regardless of whether or not Stetson better hurt his shoulder in that game. And you've seen Kirby Smart make adjustments, not just on a micro level within the course of a season 
but macro in terms of the way he runs his program, in terms of what he tries to look for, in terms of what he tries to get out of this team. And, and you know, maybe it's because Kirby had that success a little bit later, uh, and, in, and he won championships after the fact that he made those tweaks, whereas with Dabo, it was sort of a continuous, continuous path upward, and now they're sort of in the rocky part. Uh, 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 of adjusting and adapting and being a head coach there because uh, they were they were they were on an upward trajectory from from really the moment that he had sort of gotten there and took over as the head coach of that program. So I I think with Dabo, look like he's gonna and you know part of it is like again it's one thing to come out and say it in, in a press conference, another to actually go out there and do it. Dabo doesn't need to say to the media to fans what he's going to change or what he's going to tweak. But there are very clearly some things about his team. I'm not even necessarily saying so much culturally that that Clemson needs to change, but there are schematic football things, athletic football things that need to be addressed, that need to be fixed with Clemson. And I think that loss to Duke last night made that very, very clear. Connor, such an interesting conversation. Thanks for having us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to reading plenty more from you based on the coverage there in Athens here this week and have you back on the show again very soon as well. Yep, as always, was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I want to be very, very careful not to overreact. I, I really do because I don't like that. There's too much week one overreaction. But the reason why I feel more confident saying, ooh, this felt like something significant for Clemson last night is because last night was supposed to be, I think in the eyes of a lot of us, the introduction to a new version of Clemson that was responding to its struggles offensively the last couple of years. And Clemson's been pretty bad offensively now for two years. And last night was supposed to be kind of the new version of that. And I thought Garrett Riley was probably the most significant hire that any program made from an assistant coaching standpoint uh, during this offseason. And Connor brings up a good point. Hey, you know, it wasn't great in the first half in Todd Munkin's first game either, but that was also a time in which i mean i do think the pandemic matters there you know uh I, I do think that's a little bit of a tougher comparison because of that and you know clemson has lost games before georgia 2021 i guess you know top of mind and then played better the rest of the season after that they've got a long winning streak against florida state they may still be a tough out in that game I'm just telling you put a pin in this and let's come back and revisit it this felt like a pretty significant outcome in terms of the direction that program is going far removed from its national championship glory days of just now a few seasons ago all right let's get ready to go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and obviously we got a great chance if people have been giving me a hard time i'm gonna do a golden shoe related to this tomorrow people have been giving me a hard time about the fact that i'm like really into like boats and ships right now we got the dog nation invasion uh river cruise right there on the tennessee river coming up in november obviously very much in keeping with the fact that we're on cruise ships coming up in april including a lure of the seas y'all know i like my cruise ships and i like my river boats and i just like being on the water when possible i guess i'll, I'll certainly own that well the point is uh you got an opportunity still to be on the ship with us coming up in april of 2024 that's april 22nd through the 26th leaving out of port canaveral going to nassau in the bahamas perfect day coco k the private island oasis right there exclusively for those on a royal caribbean cruise vacation jessica slater is a great travel agent who has been specially selected for us by royal caribbean to help you book your uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs, including the Dog Nation cruise. And she's put a website together, royaldogs.com. You can go there, find out everything about the Dog Nation cruise. It's royaldogs.com. Space is limited. 
and you can get on board there. Jess is going to help you with that, royaldogs.com, for more on that. All right, we got week two coming up, and I would say one of the most interesting games is going to take place all season long happens on Saturday when Alabama hosts Texas. And I would say that Texas comes into this game on a little bit of a down note, I think, based on how it played against Rice, where it seems like the Texas offensive line probably did not have a great performance. Rice defensively was able to do some things. And obviously, well, if Rice can do something against you defensively, they can get after Quinn Ewers a little bit. Then Alabama, certainly with Dallas Turner and all those guys, they're going to have a chance to do that there as well. I know Bama's now a little bit banged up in the secondary. I haven't seen anything, though, that's caused me to change my overall thought here, which is quarterback's the most important position on the field. Texas has a huge quarterback advantage, I believe, with Quinn Ewers compared to uh, Jalen Milrow. And that, to me, is going to be the difference in this football game. If we're wrong, and we've been wrong a couple of times already this season, if we are wrong about that, then I think you pretty quickly see a new narrative in the SEC West where all of a sudden, you know, I mean, LSU lost its first game. If if Alabama were to beat Texas, then in terms of it being Alabama's get probably rightly so more of the attention in the SEC West, that's clearly going to happen. But I'm not quite ready to say that. Uh, I, I'm still fairly confident in my original pick that I believe that Texas goes on the road, wins this game with Quinn Ewers there. I thought it was also interesting from a quarterbacking standpoint for Alabama, the fact that you may have seen this Saturday blowout one against Middle Tennessee State. You know, Milrow is the, clearly the guy right now, but did you see who came in the game second? It was Tyler Buckner. Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, who was kind of brought in, I think, to be a little bit of an insurance policy. Uh, the insurance here being cashed in because apparently Ty Simpson just ain't him. Uh, apparently Ty Simpson has just not got next or maybe got ever when it comes to Alabama here. So a lot of this, you know, the the dissatisfaction that fans had with Milrow a season ago, uh, the bringing in of Buckner, a lot of this kind of coming to light more because of the fact that Ty Simpson, the former elite recruit, and sometimes elite recruits just don't have it. You know, nobody bats a thousand when it comes to these scouting reports. And apparently Simpson is just not going to, at least at Alabama, live up to his billing which has opened the door for for Milrow to apparently be the starter. It appears that Buckner might be the backup, and I believe on Saturday uh, it's uh, Quinn Ewers, who's by far and away the better quarterback. That, to me, is enough to give Texas the uh, victory. We'll talk more about some of the Week 2 stuff as we kind of get a little closer, but that's that for now. The other thing about Week 2 that I think is interesting, got a handful of SEC teams. Auburn's going to Cal. Um, uh, They're in Berkeley, and Cal actually won its Week 1 game. Remember, the uh, Pac-12 and the essentially the final year of its existence was 13 and 0 this past week uh you know everybody won uh that played for uh for uh, the, the pac 12 so right now auburn it's only about a six and a half point favorite on the road to cal be very careful hugh freeze <laughs> be very very careful traveling you know almost three thousand miles to go play that game there in berkeley be very careful about that you've also got old miss going to tulane i'll flat out tell you i expect tulane to win this game tulane is an underdog at home but uh, I expect Tulane to win. Now, Ole Miss blasted Mercer. Looks like Jackson Dart kind of has a stranglehold on that quarterback situation for the Rebels right now. But I, th- I think Tulane probably wins there on Saturday. Quietly, Tulane's performance against South Alabama in week one was actually more impressive than you probably realize. Um, and I kind of like Tulane in this spot. We'll see. And then Texas A&M goes on the road to Miami. It's not really a road game because Miami doesn't have any fans but they are at least traveling away from the state of Texas to go play the game. So you got SEC teams in kind of tricky road spots there a little bit on Saturday. And then finally, we'll mention the fact that, you know, for the most part, it was just not a good start of the season for the SEC. Florida embarrassed at Utah. 
you know, LSU really beaten up pretty good by Florida State. You know, the game could have even been worse the final score, I think. And then you also had quietly, we haven't talked enough about this. I especially haven't talked enough about it because I need to take my medicine because I thought the game was going to go the opposite direction. But North Carolina really handled South Carolina. I know there was the weird moment uh, where Shane Beamer was kind of complaining about the uh, chain crew to begin the second half. He says they were still eating a hot dog. They had to wait on them. They wanted to try an onside kick, which I thought was kind of a, a funny thing. Beamer was actually pretty critical of the entire operation there in Charlotte for that game. But ultimately, and I like Shane Beamer. Once again, this is a guy I probably like more than some of y'all do. But um, ultimately for Beamer, the thing you got to look yourself in the mirror over right now, and the entire South Carolina team has to look itself in the mirror over, North Carolina looked like the tougher of the two teams on Saturday. You know, not a ton of offense from South Carolina. Uh, probably the best defensive performance we've seen this team have. Remember, almost exactly a year ago in that same spot, UNC's given up like 50 points or whatever to, to Appalachian State. And South Carolina couldn't make it look nearly that easy uh, there on Saturday. That would be, to me, a little bit of a concern. And for the ACC in North Carolina, it's a very good win. But for South Carolina, you got to be a little tougher in that spot. you gotta, you got to be a little, little physically tougher than you were against North Carolina. And of all the performance in the SEC on Saturday, I don't know that pound for pound, the one that you know caused you to you know, just kind of you know, raise your eyebrows the most may not have been South Carolina who had a chance to win that game and have a little momentum coming into Georgia here in a couple of weeks, but they don't get any of that. And really allowing North Carolina to look tougher and more sound defensively than they have looked in a long time probably ends up being the biggest reason why there it will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, let me also say this for a lot of you you think about the uh, rest of the fall the rest of the uh, year moving towards the holiday season things like that a lot of reasons why in the days to come you may be traveling here to the atlanta area if that's the uh, case if you need to get to buckhead or midtown downtown somewhere like that but you don't necessarily want to stay like right in the hustle and bustle uh you can be conveniently located all those areas right here where our studio is located here in the uh, dunwoody area and i want to give you an idea of just what you benefit from when you choose to have your Atlanta stay kind of kind of centered here in this Dunwoody area first of all you're right there in between a couple of terrific Marta stations the Dunwoody station the Sandy Springs station you've also got like nine different hotels 2100 rooms a couple hundred restaurants couple hundred shopping opportunities you can have a great safe family-friendly environment right here in the Dunwoody area and then have easy convenient access to anything kind of more in town in Atlanta, Midtown, Buckhead, downtown, things like that. So for more information on this, check out discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation. Discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation. 300, uh, 300 shopping opportunities, a couple hundred restaurants, like 2,100 hotel rooms. This is a great, wonderful place to spend some weekend time when you're coming to visit Atlanta or really anytime you might be coming into the area. So find out more at discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation. We'll get ready to wrap up today's show, and we have more details on the Stetson Bennett appearance, Sanford Stadium on Saturday, where pictures were shared with us of Bennett in the stands. We thought that was crazy that Stetson just kind of flying below the radar, incognito in the stands. We then found out yesterday that he actually had to move around seats because he was sitting in someone else's seats, and the person whose seats he was sitting in didn't even know who it was. Also, a resident all-nighter weighs in here to say that Stetson was in Section 125 briefly. He was 10 rows in front of me. Then he may have moved to 104 after he got kicked out of the seats in 125. So not only is Stetson just sitting in the stands and not like in some luxury suite, he's like moving around from spot to spot like you and I would do because somebody keeps coming to sit in the seats where he's supposed to be sitting. 
This is not what you'd expect from a Heisman finalist, but Stetson, a man of the people, forever and for always, and that's why you love him. And that is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. By the way, Gator Hater Countdown, let's give you that real quick. 53 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on those lousy, stinking Gators. We'll see you all back here again tomorrow. Glad to have you with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.